Good morning. If I don't speak loud enough, just somebody do something like this and I hope I'll get the message. Turn with me, will you please, to Philemon. It's right before Hebrews in the New Testament, Philemon. And this is supposed to be a character study, and so we won't be looking at the book in an exposition type of way, but we'll say some things about, well actually it's a letter. And we have three characters to consider this morning. I'd like to talk a little bit about each one and then concentrate on one. In this letter, it's written by the Apostle Paul, written to a dear brother in Christ. His name is Philemon, written about another dear brother in Christ. His name is Onesimus. And I might be pronouncing his name wrong. If I am, so be it. Sorry. (laughs) If it sounds like I'm speaking a little strange, it's... I broke my tooth off and they gave me a temporary fix. And so, sounds like I'm talking with gum in my mouth. So, if you're wondering, that's what it is. Philemon. Before I read through Philemon, there's only 25 verses. This letter is especially uh, significant. It's written by the Apostle Paul, entirely by his hand. So, I think there's a significant reason why. Before we read it, I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself. Thirty-five years ago, I enlisted in the United States Navy. And this book, or at least a character in this book, reminds me a little bit about myself when I was in the Navy. I signed up for four years. And uh, I initially wanted to be a jet engine mechanic. I qualified for anything they had. But I had a real serious problem of impatience. And the A school for jet engine mechanic didn't open up for another six months. And so I would have to wait six months if that's what I wanted. But I didn't want to wait. So I had to pick something else because I had a guaranteed A school. So I I chose the extremely practical field of uh, nuclear weapons technology. Something I'd be able to use when I got out to get a good job, right? (laughs) That's how foolish I was. So I went in the Navy. In the Navy, they have a term that's called UA, unauthorized absence. Maybe some of you will be familiar with the term AWOL. I think that's a term that the Army uses, but the United States Navy uses the term unauthorized absence. Well, there came a time in my life about a year after I enlisted. Now, I I obligated myself for four years, and I signed a contract. I decided I didn't want to do it anymore. I went to nuclear weapons A school. I had a secret security clearance. I tried... SEALs, basic underwater demolition SEALs, didn't want to do that. Finally, I just decided I didn't want to do this anymore. So I left. I went UA. And um, I should be ashamed of myself because I signed a contract and an obligation. And so I can relate to this book because it talks about a slave, Onesimus. But he got up and left because he didn't like it anymore. And um, being in the Navy is sort of like being a slave. You don't, as a matter of fact, when I was, uh, I broke my ankle in three places, I went to Oak Knoll Navy Hospital, and uh, they wanted to operate on me. And I told them, I never had surgery, and I don't want it now. And the doctor said, you don't have a choice. You belong to the United States Navy. (laughs) So you see, in a way, I was a slave. So I got up and left. I didn't want to be a slave anymore. I didn't want somebody else controlling my life. I didn't want somebody else telling me what to do. I got up and left. So I can really relate to uh, Onesimus here. And I'll save the ending if you remind me what happened to me in the end. 
apparently I made it through. <laughs> Let's read Philemon. Okay, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. I'm reading from the New American Standard, so if the words don't line up with what you're reading, it's probably a different version. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Apphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do that which is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, Onesimus, who formerly was useless to you, but now is both useful, both is, but is now useful both to you and to me. And I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that in your that in your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, that your goodness should not be, as it were, by compulsion, but out of your own free will. Perhaps he was, for this reason, parted from you for a while, that you should have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand and I will repay. Lest I should mention to you that you owe, me, you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you, from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. And at the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I shall be given to you. Epaphras, our fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, so all that we can get, we gather from the letter, and we can gather quite a bit. We have Paul, the apostle, in prison in Rome. For the gospel's sake and because of the gospel and that he preached the gospel. We have Philemon, obviously a brother in Christ, a slave owner, at least previously. And we have Onesimus, one of his slaves that had run away, who since having run away had come to know the Lord. So those are the, uh, the, uh, the characters we want to consider this morning. Before we do, I'd like to just um, say something about the, the letter to Philemon. It's a remarkable analogy um, that we see there. A beautiful picture of Christ. 
And, that, and that's really, you know, um, the focus of what I see in this, in this letter. We have a slave that has run away. And with a slave running away, there was a high penalty. Oftentimes, it was a penalty of death. <laughs> and so he owed a debt to his owner. We have the Apostle Paul sharing the gospel with him, reaching out to him, interceding for him, and like Christ, taking up the debt Onesimus had with his owner. And we have Philemon, the one who received him back or would receive him back. What a picture of the gospel. Rarely do we see ourselves as slaves. But Christ says that you're a slave to whom you obey. Obeying God or obeying your own selfish desires. Obeying God or obeying the call of the world. Obeying God or obeying the devil. You're a slave to whom you obey. And so we have to ask ourselves, our life, who are we obeying? We like to see, we like to think that we're just doing what we want, that we're no one's slave. But if we're not doing God's will, we're doing our will, we're actually doing Satan's will. Because Satan's will is that you don't do God's will. If I were to pick a key word in this letter, I would pick a word that's not written. The word's forgiveness. So we're going to talk a little bit about forgiveness. Because it talks about, uh, that talks about the character of an individual in the, in the letter. Forgiveness. You won't find the word there, and yet this letter is all about forgiveness, isn't it? Forgiveness. Another uh, a key word that you will find in the book is love. It's mentioned three times. Three times the word love. And Paul appeals to love. And so with that, we want to consider our characters. The Apostle Paul, first of all, and see what we can learn from these characters. Apostle Paul found himself in prison. I don't know if you've ever been in jail before. I have. It's not um, a place you would choose to have fun or enjoy. I think they're a miserable place for a reason. It's to discourage you from ever going there. The Apostle Paul wasn't there because of any crime that he had committed. He was there as an innocent person. But one thing you don't see the Apostle Paul doing is something that I think you and I have to confess we sometimes do do, and that's we have a party, a pity party. Have you ever felt sorry for yourself? I know I have. Without reason or for little reason, whether it's the day's not going well, whether somebody isn't treating me the way they should, whether I'm being misunderstood, whether things aren't going my way, whether I'm not as well off as someone else, whether life seems to be easier for someone else than for me, whether some people get to go to Yosemite and I don't. There's <laughs> a lot of reasons to have a pity party. <laughs> I didn't, by the way, but that would have been good reason to. <laughs> pity party. Apostle Paul was in prison. For the gospel's sake. Now he might think, wow, here I'm serving the Lord. And I could be out there preaching the gospel in how many places and here I'm stuck in this prison cell. Well, the marvelous thing about the Apostle Paul is one thing, he didn't have those kind of parties. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He saw every circumstance in his life as the providence of God. God designed, God directed, and for God's glory. And I thought to myself, well, what if I was thrown into jail? 
You know, I should be in jail. There's things I've committed that I've never been caught for. Some things that there's no statute of limitations, especially in this day and age of terrorism. What would I do if I got thrown into jail? Well, there's two things, two ways I could look at it. I, I could look at it as, oh, man, poor me. <laughs> wow, you know, my life's changed. After so many years have gone by, shouldn't they just forget it? Forget it? Or could I say, you know what? Maybe there's someone in jail that God wants me to reach for the gospel. You see, I visited prisons before in Brazil on a weekly basis, state penitentiaries. And I'll tell you, you have a very captive and interested audience. Someone coming in from the outside, that's an event for them. <laughs> a Bible study from somebody, uh, given by somebody from the outside, that's an event. People will come. And you'll be able to share the gospel and have open ears. Oftentimes it's hard to hear how effective that is because people that come to Christ oftentimes live a better life in jail than out <laughs> once they get out. But you have plenty of opportunity. So would I look at it as an opportunity or would I feel sorry for myself? The Apostle Paul, it's clear what way he looked at it. He had a ministry in prison that was unequaled. How many prison epistles do we have? Letters, books that were written in the midst of that circumstance that we might feel sorry for ourselves if we found ourselves in that circumstance. Now, that might be hard for you to imagine that you are in jail. But what other place could you be that you find you'd rather not be? That might be an opportunity to witness. Perhaps it's at your job. Perhaps it's getting pulled over and getting a ticket. Who knows? Any undesirable circumstance. We can either feel sorry for ourselves or use it for God's glory. Use it to reach people. Use it to spread the gospel. And, and, and I come across that all the time. Um, I can remember working in a tile warehouse and this guy comes in and he just spits on the floor and he's got the foulest mouth you've ever heard. And I ask him, and he, he, he sets tiles in people's houses. And I ask him, well, do you spit like that in people's houses? And I can't repeat what he said, but he answered in the affirmative and, it, and even worse. And it was a little disgusting. And I'm not unfamiliar with that kind of environment and it was still disgusting. But then the Lord reminded me in the quietness of my heart, I love him too. And you should also. Do we see through Christ's eyes? Sometimes the most undesirable, the most unlovely are the exact same people the Lord wants us to reach rather than feel sorry for ourselves that we're in their presence or that we have to put up with them. The Apostle Paul had no pity parties. An encouraging thing, too, is the Apostle Paul wasn't alone. It says that Timothy was with him and others as well. Not to say the least, Onesimus. Sources of encouragement, sources of fellowship. And oftentimes in undesirable circumstances, the Lord will bring sources of encouragement in the least likely ways. We're not alone. We're never alone because we have Christ, don't we? And if we have Christ, He knows our heart. He knows what we need. And sometimes we need a word of encouragement and the Lord brings it. But sometimes, you know what? He knows our faith can carry us without that word. And He expects us to lean on that faith and to trust His presence. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're not alone. We're not alone. Neither was the Apostle Paul. What did he say of Timothy? Look at the encouragement that he sent 
uh, the Apostle Paul with the presence of Timothy. It says in uh, Philippians 2.19, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly, so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be generally concerned about your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. That's the encouragement the Lord brought to Paul. And so Paul could look at that encouragement, see it as the Lord's hand that he was there and he was there for a reason. And we see in the process somehow Onesimus was one to the Lord. So God has a purpose and he has a direction. And he has a name to that purpose. In this case it was Onesimus. Paul was others directed. He had Christ's interests first, and therefore he had others' interests before his own. Always thinking of others because he was thinking of Christ. And that's a hallmark of a person who is spirit-led and walking close with the Lord. That person will be others-directed, not self-directed. He recognized God's provinces in his circumstances. and he, uh, There's a word in Portuguese that's called aprovetar. <laughs> He took advantage of those circumstances to seek to glorify God. He was Christ-like. We see that if Onesimus wronged you, Philemon, in any way, charge that to my account. Just like Christ. That's what Christ did on the cross. Christ said, if you owe God anything, which we do, we owe Him because of our sins, charge that to my account. It says He bore our sins in His body on the cross that He might bring us to God. Paul, we see, was Christ-like. And so is there a lesson in Paul's life, his character to follow? I think there's plenty. And we knew that of the Apostle Paul. So let's look at Philemon. What can we learn from Philemon? First of all, the word love is mentioned three times in this epistle. His life was marked by love. By love. A love for Christ, first and foremost, and therefore a love for others. He had a church meet in his house. And some here know exactly what that's like. This church started in the home. And there's something to be said about a willingness of a dear saint to open their home to God. To open their home for God's use. To open their home for God's people. Not just for a meeting of the church, but for a meal hospitality, for encouragement, simply for fellowship. And there are people that are noted for that. That's the hallmark of their life, is they love to have people over. Their home's open. Day or night, that home belongs to Christ, and so do the people in it. Therefore, the doors are open. That's what Philemon was like. And I'm proud to say that's what a lot of people are like in this church. That's what wins people to Christ. They see that. Wow, there's something unusual about these people. Their lives and their homes are open. And so if you practice hospitality, I'd like to say pata bings. Portuguese, that means congratulations. You're a follower of Christ. You're a follower of those that follow Christ, and you're a good example. That's how this church started, because people were willing to open their home when we didn't have another meeting place. Praise the Lord for that. Philemon, marked by love. It says that he refreshed. Paul was so pleased with Philemon. Why? Because his love was demonstrated in that he refreshed the hearts of the saints. He was a refreshment. 
He was a pleasure to be around. When the saints were around him, they were refreshed. It's like a nice cool drink on a hot day in the middle of a heat wave. It's something that refreshes your body. Well, he refreshed the souls of the saints, refreshed their spirit. How did he do that? How do you think that Philemon refreshed the saints? It wasn't just by hospitality. It wasn't just by putting their interests first. I would say first and foremost, the way he refreshed the souls of the saints was by being Christ-like. I'll tell you, when I'm most encouraged by another saint, it's when I see Christ in them. When I, Wow, that's like the Lord. <laughs> How refreshing. We are filled with people all around, in, all around us in this world that are so unchristlike. And oftentimes I confess, I could be unchristlike. And I know during those times, I'm not a refreshment to anyone. <laughs> I can make people miserable. And this world can make us miserable if it weren't for those that reflect the glory of Christ. That act like the Lord Jesus Christ around us. And that's what wins souls to Christ. Because they're Christ-like. They're different. And that's what refreshes me. I hope it refreshes you when you meet someone that reflects Christ. And it's not somebody necessarily that preaches to you. It's not someone necessarily that's always hammering the gospel into you. It's someone that simply is reflecting the love of Christ. And sometimes, I was just thinking, I worked in a warehouse one time. And, you know, it, sometimes it takes a long time to mature for some people. My wife thinks men take a longer to mature than women. I think sort of biased, but she's probably right, you know. <laughs> but I worked in a warehouse, and I could remember this uh, dispatcher. Dispatchers made a lot of money. And um, he would dispatch trucks, and he was real busy. And um, it was a busy warehouse, and there was overtime. And the overtime seemed to get out of control. It was more and more and more. And I'm thinking, wow, I certainly don't want to dedicate my life to work. I want to serve the Lord. I had a, a, a new family at the time center, and I were newlyweds. And, and I had ministry in the church that I, I knew I wanted to be involved in. And so I prayed about it, and I sought counsel from the elders. And so I finally got up the nerve and talked to the vice, uh, vice president, and his name was Greg, Greg Kava. I even remember his name. And I said, listen, Greg, I said, here's, here's the situation. I'd like to talk to you about this overtime. I said, and, and I tried to, you know, put a good face on it. And I said, listen, I, I really want to show you that I'm flexible. I have a real keen desire to do well at work. But there's other things I'm involved in. With, I have a new family and I have my life in the church. And so I talked to my elders and I prayed about it. And I'd just like to say that what would be good for me is, and to show you that I'm flexible and I, and I want to work with you, is how about five hours overtime a week? And that could be the limit. Oh, he changed the subject and talked about it. I said, okay, but how about five hours of overtime? Isn't that acceptable? Is that reasonable? And he changed Well, but how about five hours? You know, and he finally said, okay, five hours. Fine. So then this dispatcher, one time under the heat of, uh, of the, the, the time clock and the crunch of work, um, and I, I'm signing out. See you. Wait a minute. We got work to do. Well, I talked to the vice president, and he said, that's good for me, five hours. He said, you call yourself a Christian. And you don't even care about, you know, that we work all these overtime hours, you know. And in my immaturity, I, I might have answered differently now, but in my immaturity, I said, wait a minute, don't push that one over on me. I'm not the one that does the hiring and I'm not the one that doesn't do the hiring when we need to. He got my point. But thinking about it now, if I was really thinking of others, I might have picked a time or two just to communicate to him, you know, I do care. 
maybe worked overtime that day and then later came back and explained the point. You see, Philemon was that kind of a person, interested in others and what other people were feeling, what other people are going to. And he wanted to take advantage of that to be a testimony for Christ. That might have been a better testimony to him. You know, you're feeling pressure, I'll help you out. And then afterwards, when there's no pressure, explain to him, listen, this is how I feel. And then he might have understood, I think I would have been more gracious doing that. So there's opportunities, no matter what the situation is, to be a good testimony. Sometimes it's not what we think. I thought I was being a better testimony taking a stand, but now I might do something different after reading this letter. Third character, Onesimus. And this is what I want to zero in on. Onesimus. You know, when I was leaving the Navy, I was running from something. I didn't have any particular thing I wanted to do. I was running from my obligation. I was running from my responsibility. I was running from three more years doing perhaps what I didn't want to do. Looking back, very foolish. I should have stayed in. But I was running. You know, there's a lot of different things people can run from. I can remember running away from home. I've done a lot of running in my life. Running away from things. But you know, there's some things people run to. You can run from something. Or you can run to something. And sometimes you can do both. So I want to consider Onesimus. We know he ran away from his master. Right? But where did he run to? We don't know all the details, and sometimes I think the Lord purposely leaves out the details in the Word because that way it applies more broadly. Onesimus left home for Rome. Left home for Rome. That's where he was heading. Now, in my life, the reason why I joined the Navy was life's out there, and I want to get there. And perhaps Onesimus had the same thought. Man, I want to go to the big city. I want to see the world. I want to see what the world has to offer. I know what's here. doesn't seem so great. Perhaps we think, man, my master, he's sort of hard. And I started thinking about children raised in Christian homes. Wow, I know it's at home what it's like. Things are strict. Always hearing about the love of God. I want to see what the world has. And a lot of times Christian, children of Christians, children raised in Christians' homes, they want to leave home as fast as they can. They're running from something, but just as much they're running to something. Onesimus left home for Rome. Perhaps he wanted to experience life in a big city. Rome was the capital of the world at the time. It was the world empire. We don't have its equivalent today. We might think San Francisco, but that's as bad as it is. It's not the capital of the world, not even capital of the country. You know, Some people think it's the center of their existence because of all kinds of, of excitement they can have there. But this was the capital of the world. This represented everything the world had to offer. And so we see, wow, here's an offer from the world perhaps an offer from Satan, something that appeals to a person's flesh that's alluring perhaps children away from their home, from those that really care for them, from those that really love them. And it was in this particular time in Onesimus' life where the Lord arrested him, got his attention, 
and presented the gospel through a faithful servant. I have to say in my life, I was running from something and I was running to everything or anything that would add excitement to my life, that would add some kind of meaning to my life, that would somehow satisfy. And so I ran to Rome, the Rome of my day, the world and all its allurements. And I found perhaps what Onesimus found, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. And I think that's what, if Christian children, or children of Christian homes, let's put it that way, that run to the world, sooner or later they find it doesn't satisfy. And then they start wondering, you know what? Maybe mom and dad were right. Maybe those values that they have, you know, that's really what's important. That's where I have the love and the care of those that really love me. The world, use you, abuse you, and then throw you away. Doesn't satisfy. Onesimus was arrested as he ran away. As he ran away. And you know, there's something about coming to know the Lord that the Lord sets certain things in front of you, things that you have to do to make right. I can remember while I was UA from the Navy. Um, it's a complicated story, but long and the short of it is, I spent a summer water skiing, uh, going to the beach. I had a job with another Social Security number, and I, I was involved with all these all these things, and I had a great time. But you know, deep down, back in the back of my mind, I know you know this, Eric. There's something you got to take care of. Sooner or later, you're going to have to take care of this. You can't keep going like this. I had arrest warrants, five arrest warrants out for me. Three in the San Diego area, two in this area. At least that's what I was told by the legal officer. Because I had a secret security clearance, so they were concerned. So I knew, you've got to get this taken care of. Sooner or later, you've got to stop running and go take care of it. And I knew that. Onesimus, when he came to know the Lord, even before that, he knew there was something he was running from. There was something he had to hide Something he couldn't let out. He was a runaway slave. Bad news. And after he got saved, there was something he needed to take care of. And I can remember the Lord surprised me many times when he convicted me that I need to make right some of the wrongs that I did. I can remember one time I used to work for this John Jardine. He owned a health spa and a gym. And I used to work out there and he finally hired me. And the Lord convicted me after I was saved. There's so many things. One of the things he convicted me of is the wrong that I did to him. I stole from him while I worked for him. Instead of selling vitamins off the shelf and putting the money in the cash register, I would sell them off the shelf and put them in my pocket. See, I was a thief, just like Onesimus, because it says here, very clear indication that he stole something from Philemon. If not, stole service from him by leaving. But there's every implication here that he stole more than that. And that's what Paul says, charge that to my account. See, I was a thief. And the Lord was saying, you know, Eric, you need to go make that right. Now, why was he saying that? Two reasons. One, it's for my good, my best interest at heart. It was going to do something for my faith, just the act of obedience in doing what Christ wanted me to do. Two, there was another soul involved, and that was John Jardine, that the Lord wanted to reach. That the Lord wanted to say, you know what? When someone takes the name of Christ, there's a difference in their life. What would it take for me to do that? That wasn't, I mean, at that time, I have to say at that time, it wasn't easy. Because here's somebody that was your friend. 
Here's someone that was so much your friend, they gave you a lifetime membership at their gym. They trusted you with the keys to the place. Now you have to go tell them that all that time you're stealing from them. That was hard. That was hard. But you know what? As a Christian, I, I just was convicted. I knew God wasn't going to give me any peace until I did it. So it was like, okay, it's like when I used to jump off a bridge. And it was a little higher than I thought it was. You just go. You just start and do it. And I was just going to do that. I, no matter what the consequences. I walked up to his door in the evening time. I knocked on his door. I can remember the look on his face. What are you doing here, Eric? I said, John, I need to talk to you. I said, you've befriended me. You've given me this lifetime membership. It was a card. I said, I don't deserve it because I haven't been your friend. I want to give it back. He goes, why? What's up? You know, I've been stealing from you all along. And I explained that. And to my amazement, tears in his eyes went down his cheeks. And he didn't tell me what all he was thinking. He says, Eric, I want you to keep that membership. And I appreciate you telling me that. Now, I don't know what went on in his life that would cause him to well up in tears because I did something like that. He should be angry at me. He should want restitution. But God was working in his life in such a way that caused him to, to, to come to tears over that. And I, I don't know to this day what it was. God loves John Jardine. God wants to make a difference in his life. And he wants to send people to tell him there is a difference. And I don't know, maybe the Lord sent other people to him to tell him about the love of Christ. Maybe I wasn't the first. Maybe I was just a little reminder of what had already been shared with him. See, God loves others. So as a Christian, that wasn't the first time. I can remember um, I worked for this outfit that we would... Uh, we, would, we would care for apartment complexes that this millionaire owned. And he had a warehouse full of furniture. And we would take that furniture and furnish an apartment that he would rent. I used to steal furniture from him. And the Lord really convicted me about that. You've got to make this right with this man. You've got to go confess to him. The problem is I had some furniture at home that my mom, I had given to my mom. I need to borrow his truck to go get it back. So I went to him and I, again, once again, uh, it's a faith that drives you. You need to obey the Lord. And I went back and I confessed to him and I told him I had become a Christian. And in becoming a Christian, Christ was alive in my life and he was, wanted me to tell him what I had done and make it right. So I wanted to return this furniture, but I didn't have a way to do it. Once again, the Lord surprised me. He said, you know, and he used these words and I don't know what these words meant to him, but this is what he said. He said, you know, you're doing your best to do your part, and I want to do mine. Can you use that furniture? And I said, well, my mother's using it. She said, he said, well, she can keep them. She can keep the furniture. I wasn't expecting a response like that. I was expecting he was going to call the cops. And I was going to go to jail. Okay, well, I'll witness to people in jail. The Lord has a great desire to reach those around us. Sometimes those people we don't know. Oftentimes they're people that we've wronged. And it's not until we obey the Lord that He gets the glory in our life and in those we witness to. This is what Onesimus was facing. Nowhere in the Scripture would we see that the Apostle Paul was somehow um, exhorting him to do this, somehow telling him, this is God's will for your life, you need to do that. We don't see that anywhere. We don't see any other indication that God had moved the heart of Onesimus to do this thing. And in sharing it with the Apostle Paul, 
He was, I'll help you in any way I can. And thus the card, the letter to Philemon. And we know his faith was genuine. Look at the way Paul, look at from how the Lord changed his life. He was running from his master, right? And he ran right into the Lord. It reminds me of when I was, uh, when I was walking my dog, my mom's dogs. I used to get, be able to get out of the house by walking her dogs. She's happy about that. And, and when I got saved, I'd walk the dogs. Actually, I just let the dogs go and they'd run themselves. And then I would walk in circles at the schoolyard and I'd pray. And I could pray out loud because it was all dark and nobody's around. And then after about an hour, I'd take the dogs home. And I had leashed up the dogs. I'm walking them home. There's this, and I've told this story. Some of you know, know it already. Guy sitting on a park bench. And, and that was one day that I did some witnessing at Chabot. I mean, that was the day to witness. And I was all proud of myself. You know, oh, praise the Lord. You know, I got witnessed, you know. I got the courage up, overcame the fear, and I witnessed, right? Big deal. But I, at that time, I was proud of myself. And I'm walking home, and there's a guy that, on, the, on the bench. And the Lord's saying, Eric, there you go. Go witness to him. Oh, Lord, you know, I already witnessed a lot today. Well, go witness to him. Oh, man, I witnessed so many people. Next time, Lord, no, witness to him. And, you know, it was one of those unusual circumstances where every step you took was like harder and harder. It was almost like the Lord stopped. He was walking with you, but he stopped. And you were keeping going, come on, Lord. No, back here. So, okay, Lord, give me the words. Well, I'll give it my best shot. So I, I went over there and I started witnessing to him. Well, it turns out, and I would have not known this had I passed it up, and the Lord wanted the glory and was trying to get this guy's attention because it turns out that he had just come from Southern California. And he was starting to you know, get in with these Christians and they were starting to share with him about the Bible, but there was this gang that was after him and they wanted to kill him. And so he's on the run. And so he had moved up and just recently, and here I come and share the gospel with him. You see, you can run, but you can't hide from God. Bill called God the hound of heaven. When he's on your trail, you ain't getting away. And I told the guy, I said, you know what? I think the Lord's trying to tell you that he loves you no matter how far you run. You know? And I think the Lord wanted to speak to him, and that's why he pressed on me witness to this man. You know? And I had to overcome fears. of obje- uh, you know, fears. I had to overcome laziness, overcome pride, get my courage up. Obey. really isn't as hard as I say. It really isn't. But there's a reluctance on our part. Onesimus was moved to go back, make things right with his master. And there's all kinds of fears, perhaps, that would conjure up in his mind. Wow, runaway slave, they're put to death. It's a little bit, uh, well, it's a lot of it, uh, heavier than any, any challenge I've faced. But how did the Lord change... Uh, Change Onesimus. Onesimus. He changed him from being a slave to being a beloved brother. You see, a lot of times it's a point of view. It's a point of view. How you look at things. Um, You're a slave to the one who you obey. The scripture says if you're a Christian, you're a slave of Christ. You know, I've never known such freedom in my life since I've become a slave of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Freed up from all the things that you were enslaved to before that you didn't even know. Slave to what people think. A slave to what you perceive as happiness. A slave to obeying somebody that they're actually giving you good advice. 
it, it puts a different perspective on things. He became a beloved brother rather than a slave to Philemon. Rather than being a stranger to the Apostle Paul, he became a child. Paul calls him my child. What a turn of, of endearment. God is in the business of forming relationships, repairing relationships, making them better. He goes from being a thief to being someone so trustworthy that Paul entrusts his heart to Onesimus. He says he carries my heart with him. From being hell-bound, hell-bent to being heaven-bound. That's what God's plan is for everyone, for everyone around us, for our children. From being hell-bound, hell-bent to heaven-bound. So the big question I guess I have to ask myself, and I hope that you'll ask yourself is, how well are we doing at obeying the Lord? When He calls us to make right or wrong, when He calls us in obedience to follow His direction, are we like Onesimus? <laughs> Going to do it no matter what the cost? If you do, I guarantee you, based on the Word of God, there's a great blessing for you. Great blessing. We need to stop running from God. And that goes for an unsaved person as well as a saved person. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for this example that we see in Onesimus. Think of how you changed his life. Made him, uh, took him from being a slave and made him a brother. Took him from being a stranger and made him a child. Took him from being a thief and gave him the great trust of, him, of, of carrying with him the heart of the Apostle Paul. Lord, we see how much you love Onesimus and you love Philemon. And it was your purpose to restore this relationship in such a way that both of them would be refreshed and encouraged in their journey. Lord, and that you would receive the glory. Lord, we think of the Apostle Paul selflessly seeking to serve you and glorify you while in prison, offering up, sending off a refreshment to his soul, his very heart with Onesimus to do that which is right. Lord, we pray that we might follow the example of these dear saints, that we might seek to glorify You, that we might seek to be more Christ-like, that You might get the glory, that we would think how we might be a refreshment to the saints and to those around us. Help us, we pray, to do that. In Jesus' name, Amen.